Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being's Unheard Cuts. Up next, my unedited conversation with poet Elizabeth Alexander. There is a shorter produced version of this wherever you get your podcasts. For, you know, they're different from what we do normally mm-hmm. because they're about an historical figure. But the idea is more is not is is to introduce this person to modern people, and it's not they're not historical treatments. There's mm-hmm. a bit of that in there, but it's really how does this how does the legacy of this person and um, specifically for us, you know, the human and spiritual legacy, spiritual defined expansively, how does that resonating in 21st century lives? So really mm-hmm. to bring that into the present. And um, and I'm also telling you that because we have other voices in this show. So mm-hmm. like you don't yeah, have yeah. to cover all the ground. You don't Thank have to be. Yeah, Lord. no. Yes, so you yes. and I really feel like at this point I have a, a number of interviews. I have one of his um Biographers, um, Ar- Arnold Rampersad. Rump- oh, was, super. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And he read. Oh. His voice is gorgeous. It is. And he did some, just in the end, we just had him do a bunch of readings. of. So we have him, and we also have this woman named Whitney Battle Baptiste, who's at mm-hmm. the Du Bois. Um, she's, an, she's an anthropologist and archaeologist, and she's actually at the Du Bois archives. Oh, wow, super. Yeah, and and she's also has a really interesting personal history. Mm-hmm. Um, she grew up like in kind of uh, was it in Brooklyn anyway in New York in the sixties and seventies. Um, her parents were kind of like in black nationalist circles, and mm-hmm. like so she came at Du Bois from you know re- you know reading about King and Malcolm X and Du Bois. Interesting, yeah, and um, so. So she's kind of an ex- she's an expert on him in her way, but it's also like how does you know what's that legacy there, and um, and so with you, so so let me just say you know starting out, I um well let me start actually let's can, start can, let's can just I, start yes I have, I need to hear her voice a little bit I haven't oh come it. on okay just for a little and I just need to caution you about all yeah. your hand movements all right all right all right all right I'll, okay I'll calm down. Uh, Talk, 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 okay. talk. So just tell so, me about t- yeah. how you got here so, today. Yeah, what did you have for breakfast? I had raspberries, almonds, and yogurt, plain yogurt, and it was very delicious. And my teenage children were snoring in the background oh, yeah. because they are out of school. Yeah. And I uh, was up very early, actually, with this convergence of everything happening. We go to New Haven later today, and I turn in the copy edits of my book today. Oh, no. No, it's like... All of that it's at the on. same time? Yes, it's it's on. But, you know, in 48 hours, it won't yeah. be on anymore. Yeah. Who's publishing your book? Uh, Grand Central. Um, you're going to have very, very soon, you're getting a copy. Okay. I really I can't wait okay. for you to see it. All right. I can't wait to see There's it. There's so many things that I think will be interesting to All you. Right. And they're doing a great job of it. Um, yeah. You have a good editor. Gretchen Young. I don't know if you've. Uh, she's fantastic. I've heard her name. Yeah. She was at uh, Hyperion for a long time, and she's just you know our generation, smart, serious, yeah. a serious, direct, wonderful editor. Mm-hmm. Kind of a dream, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
right, great. I'm okay. very happy. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm rolling. Okay. <clears throat> um, let's just start by, um, I want to hear, you know, if you, if you can recall kind of your earliest memories of knowing of du, ba- du Bois or knowing of Du Bois growing up in Washington in the 60s and 70s. Yes, I think of the Dr. Du Bois. That was always how he was referred to in my family. Mm-hmm. And I think that was very important because he was someone to be respected that even though African-Americans had attained higher education by the time I was a child, I know that I knew he was the first African-American to get his PhD from Harvard University, that it was an extraordinary thing to have become educated in the way that he did so that we ought to give him that title. Mm -hmm. Um, And later on, I learned, uh, and there are a number of African-American elders of a generation for whom uh, only the letters of their names are what we know, Mm -hmm. W-E-B, that that was strategic, uh, a way that he could not be called William or Bill, that someone would have to call him boy or call him Dr. Du Bois. It forced the issue of his stature. uh, And I think that 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 interested me a great deal. And I Mm -hmm. remember learning that when I was probably a young teenager. So, you know, his name was Ambient as one of the great Negroes who brought us thus far. Um, I didn't read The Souls of Black Folk until I was in college. And I remember very much reading it for the first time, sophomore year with Professor Michael Cook in a big survey course on African-American literature. It was a graduate course. And at that time, you know, the, the... only place that Du Bois was taught alongside Booker T. Washington and other greats of the tradition. And I remember thinking, oh, not only is he a great man, he's a beautiful writer. And how that felt like such a gift that that these important ideas uh, came forward to us in language that was unforgettable. Yeah. And I think that... um I went into this, uh, this, this project of investigating him. Um, well, let me just read. Like, here's the Wikipedia entry mm-hmm. about W.E.B. Du Bois. Was an, um, and I think, this is, I think this is a good reflection of the ways, the categories by which he's remembered if he's remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding, you know, as, I've, as we've been doing this project, my understanding is that he's very well remembered among African Americans, mm-hmm. um, but I think not so much at all uh, in, among white mm-hmm. in white culture. Mm-hmm. So anyway, what W. E. B. Du Bois was an American sociologist, historian, civil rights activist, Pan Africanist, author, and editor. Um, you know, the, after graduating from Harvard, where he was the first African American to earn a doctorate. He became a professor of history, sociology, and economics at Atlanta University. Du Bois was one of the co-founders of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, in 1909. So those are his credentials. I started very quickly as I was reading *The Souls of Black Folk* to realize, to think, to see, you know, there is, there's, whether he was a religious person or not, he was a powerful spiritual. Thinker. Mm. So I thought at first I was discovering this spiritual legacy of his that's been lost. But I feel as I've traced that more and more, what I've discovered is his lyricism and his poetry and how that is such a distinctive contribution of his. 
Uh, well, absolutely. And I think that he believed that felicitous, careful language that when you look at The Souls of Black Folk, which is a book that I teach and the book that I return to of his millions, yeah. <laughs> um, when it, it, the Bible is absolutely its antecedent. And when you look at the construction of those sentences, when you look at its rise and fall, that's what he's patterning himself on. Yeah, the preacher and the psalmist, almost. Yes, no, yeah. absolutely. And a very particular kind of preacher. Yes. You know, he's not holy rolling. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's a different sort of preacher. And I think that the, uh, you know, it's in an African-American tradition. It, it is call and response. But he actually doesn't want the audience to respond immediately. He wants them to listen and then come back and respond in deeds, I think. I think that's what the call of it is. Mm. And, you know, he, he's such a careful writer. Why does he call it the souls of black folks? Yes. Souls. Yes. Why does he have chapters called of our spiritual strivings? Right. Uh, and I think that, you know, the, the, the perhaps most famous line from the souls of black folk, the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. I mean, first of all, it is prophetic, Yes. You know, that is not something we have as yet resolved. He saw that. He understood that. Um, and I think that he understood that as a soul crisis for white people, for black people, and for the polis in general. Yes. Because it is. It, right. And and even there, I feel like, yes, to the extent that anybody's heard a quote of Du Bois, they may have heard the, the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. They heard it as a political statement, hmm. but even if you step back and you you know you you say it, you, I mean it's 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 actually very poetic. I mean I think it's mm -hmm. memorable perhaps because it has this cadence, mm -hmm. but also as you're saying, what he was talking about was something much bigger than laws or rights, absolutely, or or or, or legal or, or social structures. He was talking about the human condition and absolutely not just the human condition of people who are not white. No, that's absolutely true. And I yeah. think that in that regard, he makes space for James Baldwin um, in, in very, very clear ways in the way that James Baldwin talks about the race crisis as being really a crisis about the inability to imagine each other, the inability to sit in someone else's a chair to stand in someone else's shoes. That is all made possible by Du Bois. Um, I think also in thinking for today and going back to souls, what really, really, really struck me, not just because I'm an ed educator, um, but his belief in education. You know, it's very easy now in 2014 to say, you must get an education and education is sacred and education, in fact, is holy. Hmm. But when you consider that he is writing 1903, in the years leading up to 1903, he's talking to a first generation out of bondage. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so like, let's just kind of situate ourselves in time there. And when he's talking about what an education can do, what it means, he says, you know, um, I marked... Yes, do, please. Because he says it yeah. far better than, than I can. Um, So beautiful. We are training not isolated men, but a living group of men, nay, a group within a group. And the final product of our training must be neither a psychologist nor a brick mason, but a man. And to make men, we must have ideals, broad, pure, and inspiring ends of living. 
not sordid money getting, not apples of gold. And, you know, it, it, it goes on in that vein. Uh, and then one more um, quotation here, and I think this is incredible, that he's talking about the function of the university. Mm. He's not talking about elementary school. Mm. He's <clears throat> imagining the university. And when he writes this, 1903, yeah, right. no black woman will attain the Ph.D. until 1923. Mm-hmm. So this is a dream, you know, educating black people, and we just have to, of course, add women where he says men, you know, educating black and people. And also he was very explicitly aware of, of women. Absolutely. And, right. So, Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of, you know, that use of the word man um, for a lot of our forebears of all kinds, they really did mean men. Yeah. But Du Bois <laughs> actually had women in mind. <laughs> yes. So, you know, we'll give him that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I think sometimes about those folks— and I think no one had done this. Yeah. No one had imagined this. Right. You know, again, a generation out of bondage, barely. So here he says, the function of the university is not simply to teach breadwinning or to furnish teachers for the public schools or to be a center of polite society. It is, above all, to be the organ of that fine adjustment between real life and the growing knowledge of life an adjustment which forms the secret of civilization. Mm. Um, and I, his, his writing, I mean, it goes on and on. I could read you 20 quotations about what higher education is for. And um, he talks, too, about the ability to see different points of view without which he believes people are not civilized. Yeah. And he doesn't mean polite. He means actually civilized. So it's quite a vision. It's quite a vision, and you're right. It speaks in a very kind of uncomfortable way to the discussion, the kind of discussion we have now about education, and 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 very particularly the kind of discussion we have about inequity and education and race, right? Mm-hmm. That education is the key, but it tends to be framed in terms of equipping people to get the right jobs, right? To make the right kind of living. Mm-hmm. Um, to join the economy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and what I find so stunning, I, I mean, I, I, I feel like as I've gotten into Du Bois, you know, just as he was grappling with the unfinished business and the badly finished business of the post-Civil War era of Reconstruction, mm-hmm. we're grappling with the unfinished business of civil rights. Yes. Um, and he so insistently talks about, you know, the essential struggle of becoming a full, flourishing human being. And and even the way he's talking, the way this language you're, you're quoting, the mm-hmm. way he talked about education, um, it's much deeper and more complicated. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that work is still there for us to do in our time. It really is. When I teach the souls of black folk and we pause as we must on perhaps the second most quotable quote, one ever feels his two-ness, yes. an American, a Negro, two dark souls or two souls warring within one dark body. It's thrilling to see students of all kinds of backgrounds talk about double consciousness Mm-hmm. Talk about their senses of, you know, being at Yale where I teach and um, perhaps they feel like their class background is not visible. 
uh, in the classroom, or perhaps they feel that you know they are a, a student from Ghana and they're uh, interpolated into a black student body, and how do they feel about that? So you're saying that this his idea of double consciousness actually. Um, has many facets that in, in that way it feels kind of prophetic. Um, yes. But the, what that is in the 21st century in this globalized world is has all these different layers. It, I think it really does. Uh-huh. And I think that it is. It, it seems to me when I teach this to be such a gift to these young people uh-huh. to see, oh, uh, yes, I can. Th- there can be more than one thing going on that even feels in his language warring sometimes in one body. But it is the work of self mm-hmm. to not necessarily resolve it, but just understand it, work with it. That's the ongoing work of identity that we do on ourselves, not necessarily suppressing one so that the other can rise. Um, and we're just complicated folks. He knew that. Right. I mean, you wrote um, in this a little essay you wrote about him years ago, you wrote in, in terms of Du Bois. Even as we may walk around thinking of ourselves as racially complicated people, what does it mean to be in this post-identity era to stand the ground of our blackness nonetheless? What does it mean to sit with and contemplate our our complicated blackness? And again, I feel like this is a a challenge, you know, an edifying challenge, um, to the way we want to talk about race as something we've moved beyond, you know, when you talk about that thrill of your, that your students have. And again, this is not just about, I mean, he's speaking to mm-hmm. other conditions aside from blackness. He's also speaking to whiteness and also what whiteness mm-hmm. is going to be 50 years from now, yes. right? Yes, yes. Um, uh, you know, when we, I, I, I feel like especially, especially, and it's intensified since Barack Obama was elected president. Mm-hmm. Um, we have these things that happen, like, let's say, the shooting of Trayvon Martin, these imperfect occasions mm-hmm. to contemplate race. Mm-hmm. And every time something like that happens, we then end up wringing our hands about how we still don't know how to talk about this. But, you know, I feel like what Du Bois is saying is talk about it in a complicated, reflective, contemplative way that's about being human. Absolutely. And I think that also that's what the souls of black folk as a, as a book, as a text, that that's what it exemplifies. Um, it's formally really unusual and really exquisitely accomplished. All of the different modes of address that he brings into the souls of black folk, he opens every chapter with actual musical, you know, lines. Yeah, from, notes. Uh, the, yeah. Notes from the sorrow songs, which yeah. I think that's actually very profound because I think it it is saying to certain readers, the hyper literate in black culture will yes. know, will be able to hear this. Um, and that kind of in-group conversation, that layer of it, even as this book speaks much more broadly, I think is kind of wonderfully thick and hard and rich and intellectual. And also I yeah. think he's saying sometimes music can do things that words cannot. And sometimes black people have done things with sound and music and those songs that helped get us through, helped us get over, yeah. you know, the tremendous uh, privation, uh, an extraordinary experience of the Middle Passage, slavery, and the aftermath. So those sounds need to be in the book. So it's a sound text huh. to, to describe it today. It is also autobiographical. 
Um, it is also allegorical. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also, uh, and you mentioned, you know, he's a sociologist, he's a historian. All of that. Uh, you yeah. know, all of that, yeah. which, again, from there's the position sci- in there's science the Contemporary in there. yeah. Academy, it's like, what? How yeah. can you do all that? Yeah. And all of that, all of those ways of thinking, bodies of knowledge, and modes of address are in this book. Um, and it's a tiny book. A tiny little, little, little book. Yeah. Tiny little beautiful book. Yeah. Um, tiny little beautiful book. But I think at the end, perhaps for me, one of the things that, that wins is the culture argument. And that a people is not a people unless its culture is recognized. And that culture is one of the ways that we express our humanity. Mm-hmm. So when he says, I sit with Shakespeare and he winces not. Yeah. I have always loved that line. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, because he's it's a line of perfect iambic pentameter, you will note. <laughs> so I feel that what he's saying is, hey, Shakespeare, I can do what you did. Yeah. Uh, I'm, ta- I'm speaking your language. Mm-hmm. And it is perfectly calm. He's saying we stand on the same timeline. We are, in his phrase, co-workers in the kingdom of culture. And given that, again, that struggle in the academy, in curricula everywhere, is still not complete, we really need that argument from him uh, that just says, Shakespeare, Du Bois, there they sit next to each other, Mm -hmm. read them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I... um... I think a lot about how the virtue <clears throat> we picked up in the 1960s, coming out of the 60s, to deal with difference, which we were, at that point, also in very significant ways, grappling with in a, in a new way, um, was tolerance. Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of a way of calming things and getting things under control, but tolerance... Um, I don't think it works for the generations coming up now. It's mm-hmm. too flat. Mm-hmm. They want engagement. They want robust identities. They don't want to compartmentalize what is distinctive. Mm-hmm. And I think they understand that that the public square actually needs them to bring all that particularity and that what is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and that they it's kind of I I feel like the work of this century is. Uh, is figuring out, you know, uh, you know, robust difference, right? That I, that mm-hmm. yes, you know, post-racial. What does that mean? But you know, yes, um, I don't know if you could say. I mean, this being a question for you, I don't know if you could say that the problem of the twenty-first century is the color line. It would need to be amended and nuanced. Mm-hmm. But diverse identity and how do you create a common space? How do you create common life with this? Uh, Breadth of diversity mm-hmm. is the challenge, um, and I just—I don't know. Like I'm talking too much, but I—I—I—I I, I, <clears throat> I feel like, for me, discovering Du Bois is discovering this voice from a hundred years ago, who is so who is speaking to this reality. You know, in his time, he was just powerful, but so out of place, mm. which is one of the reasons we—he maybe hasn't come down in history in quite the same way. Well, I think here's what how I would what I would add to your question, yeah. and it, it gets back to something we started out um, with. How is it that Du Bois is a household name to 
most educated black people. Yeah. And uh, that you're saying, and I, I think that's my sense of it, too, that most white people don't know his work. I know that certainly um, in some American studies classes, you might might read him. I mean, I don't mean to say, you know, all my colleagues who are not African-Americanists will say, I teach Du Bois. <laughs> so, I mean, he's ta- I don't mean to say he's only taught in African-American studies, but he is predominantly taught in an African-American studies context. Mm-hmm. Now, I've always said that everyone should take African-American studies courses because you should understand the history and culture and ideas of the place where you stand. We all stand in African-American space and time, you know, if we're here in the USA. But that said, um, Du Bois as an Americanist is really, well, for, and a globalist, but that's another conversation yes, even, yes. Um, is something that is not all the way complete in, you know, I think the American curriculum. Um, I see even in progressive high schools, for example, now maybe kids will read Frederick Douglass's narrative, yeah. a great and gorgeous book. But I don't, I don't think they read The Souls of Black Folk too much. And it's not that it's too complex or too hard. I mean, it's a, it's a very readable book, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really needs to happen um, because I think the other thing we need to remember about Du Bois's career, it was so long. Mm-hmm. And this was a man who had a sense of himself as an important thinker from when he was a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, you know, as you well know, how poetic can you get that he dies on the eve of the March on Washington <laughs> in Ghana, yeah. right? So he he spans the century. Mm-hmm. And that there's the literary work, there's the work in university settings, the founding of an institution, the NAACP, that still stands and that continues to think through and reinvent its own relevancy, sometimes successfully, sometimes mm-hmm. less so, but it's a living, you know, yeasty institution. And many, many, many other uh, modes of things that have lasted. Um, his work as a journalist. I mean, you know, the crisis still exists, yeah, the right, journal that right, he founded. Right. And to remember that he founded the NAACP with other black and white people so that you know he was an integrationist in the best sense i think which is not like this is an idea for black people and white people to work together but we have work to do let's do this work together yeah let's join in common cause and just do it let's not talk about the fact that you know you're white and i'm black let's just do it because it matters to all of us so I think that that aspect of his career is really important to remember as well. He left it all there for us. Yeah. It, it, it struck me also that one thing you actually connected with in his, in his history was um, that he is not a, a, a black intellectual, a black writer, formative black leader who grew up in the South. Yes. But in the North, um, and in fact, pretty much... In 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 in, a, in white culture, mm-hmm. and largely unaware of you know quote unquote black culture until he went to college in Tennessee and had it and it it sounds like he never would have thought of writing something called the Souls of Black Folk if he hadn't had that experience. 
Well, it's interesting. You know, that passage is so great because he's also saying, look at all these black girls. I mean, he's <laughs> describing all of the colors and they're so beautiful and they mm-hmm. come in every possible variety. And he just cannot believe his eyes. He's a, a decorous man, but he's having a moment <laughs> when he goes to the Smith to the Fisk campus. Yeah. Um, and that's a really interesting question about how an intellectual forms outside of the context of the people that he's going to write about. I mean, you know, he came from people with tremendous race awareness. Um, My mother will often say, uh, well, when I'm worrying about this or that with my children, she'll say, well, they do live in your house, don't they? In other words, at home is where ideas are formed. Mm. Um, I can't imagine that he didn't grow up with books and ideas um, that would have come also from his grandfather and father. Um, that I'm not being very articulate here, but I think that going to Fisk and going to the South was a blossoming moment for him. Yeah. But I also think at that point, something was already set in his head, perhaps a modus operandi, a way of thinking, and, and also quite certainly he understood himself uh, as being different in some way. Although, again, in The Souls of Black Folk, the, the story he tells of the moment of consciousness of racial difference is the Valentine's moment, where he offers a Valentine to a white girl who is his heart's desire in his elementary school, and that the Valentine is refused. Mm-hmm. But, but what is kind of stunning about that is that he was surprised that it was refused. Right. Yes. I mean, that's a different uh, that's a different racial America than than the one that we know best of. That's true. Early twentieth century. That's very true. That's very true. Perhaps he was just sweet, generous. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. in many ways, actually, he was. Uh-huh. Although I sort of resist the idea that there is such a thing as sweet, generous. But on the other hand, I don't know who else is quite like him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to also just pick up on something. You know, we talking about this this inner work mm-hmm. that's there for you know, in his language, black folk, but really for. I mean, he also there's also a chapter in this in the souls of black folk of the souls of white folk, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he was really aware of race as something that we have to grapple with together. And mm-hmm. you talked about. Um, and this is this is where you were reflecting on um, him and that book and what he touched. And you said, "I believe I do believe that the overall quest should be for everybody to feel they have access to the private, complicated space within them." I'm I'm taking that out of context, but do you remember writing that? I mean, can you talk about what you're describing there? And that's kind of this inner inner working. And I I feel like we lose sight of this. We tend to focus on laws and justice writ large and there's this inner work that we may need to underpin all of that structural work that we want to happen well yes i mean i think that <clears throat> i think that if you if you look outside of yourself for reflections of yourself for images of yourself and you're black i mean the first lady talked about this so beautifully at maya angelo's funeral 
few uh, last week, um, where she talked about growing. By the up. way, we interviewed her for about fifteen minutes about Du Bois, just like a week before she died for this project. Oh and, my goodness! Yeah, and she she didn't say much. It was a short conversation, but mm-hmm. she adored Du Bois, and wow. she tried to visit him in Ghana the week he died. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, wow. Yeah. Well, so you remember the first lady talking about you know being a, a black girl and 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 not seeing what the what Maya Angelou's poem "Phenomenal Woman" meant for black girls, that celebration of black female beauty, black female bodies, black female sexuality, um, that all of that 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 the culture not only doesn't give us but in fact gives us a monstrous version of ourselves to look at. Uh, you know, a really monstrous version of ourselves that's not valued. So I think that, you know, one thing I was taught very early, uh, and I think that this is how a lot of black people survive, is if you look out there for value, you will never feel valued. You have to look somewhere else. You have to look at sources you can trust. That is to say, you have to have your heroes be around you in some kind of way, people whose deeds you can measure people who you can emulate because you see them mostly being consistent, showing up, being there, trying, bouncing back, all of those um, important, simple values. But also, I think that interior work that is for each of us to do ourselves of who, who really am I? And that's why as a writer, what I value so much about the souls of black folk and what I think is so important is, again, um, and I've talked about about this uh, in context of other works, that it is what I call a collaged text, as we are all collaged human beings. That all those modes of address, you know, you, you put it all in the pot to come out with a whole that is the self. And that even that whole, and this is what I, I love so much about Du Bois, Souls is an early book. And he keeps trying out and, and, you know, the ideas change and there are more books and more books and more books because the self is always in process. Certain things may be consistent, but the self is not static. That is what life is, mm-hmm. hopefully, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that this multiplicity of form and I think that this genre of the souls of black folk, which by the way, also, I, I do think in 1896, when Anna Julia Cooper uh, wrote, um, excuse me, 1892, A Voice from the South, uh, a very, very important antecedent to the souls of black folk. Um, Anna Julia Cooper, someone who uh, Du Bois knew and worked with, but but her book also had this multiplicity of form, uh-huh. which I've argued was a way for these incredible black thinkers to say, Okay, a form doesn't exist to hold me, so I'm going to make my own form. You know, I'm going to make my own vessel. I'm going to make my own genre. I'm going to describe it. And that that is an example of, I think, the way that a lot of us make our way through strong and intact. Mm -hmm. Don't look over there. Make it up yourself. Toni Morrison, I wrote the book that I wanted to read. That's, Mm -hmm. That's what it is. That's what he did, I think. So one of the it, it was actually challenging to um to enter this exploration of Du Bois and mm-hmm. 
especially because I wanted to look through this human and spiritual lens. And um, one of his major biographers, I mean, a scholar who's um, you know very well celebrated for um, his expression of Du Bois, when we said that this is the angle we wanted to take, said well, called that ethereal. Well, that he couldn't speak <laughs> about he couldn't speak to those ethereal aspects. Which you know, um, a- as compared to political, you know, journalistic, um, sociological, um, and you know, and I guess to me that speaks to the fact that what you're describing, which is a fuller sense of this grappling that we have to do with all of the sides of ourselves, this collage. I, I do feel like that's something in the 20th century kind of thought it could maybe tame or compartmentalize, um, that we could make it more rational. Hmm, that's interesting. I'm thinking back to ethereal and just laughing a little bit. That That's Professor Rampersad? No, it wasn't Rampersad. Oh, is it? He was fabulous. It was the guy who won the Pulitzer Prize. Oh, David I mean, Levering Lewis. Yes. Okay. Well, that's, the uh, you know, two of our great, great scholars. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about Rampersad with a smile because, of course, his uh, b- book about Du Bois is called The Art and Imagination yes. of W.E.B. Du Bois. And, the you know, the brilliance with which he helps us understand that, again, you know, what the words that carry these ideas forward um, are they're how we get them. So how he did it really, really mm-hmm. actually matters. Um, I don't know if this answers your question, but I've my um, tenth grade son uh, just wrote a paper for at his wonderful school um, comparing um, Du Bois and Booker T. Washington. Oh, really? Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, it was. He's excited that I'm here because uh-huh. they had quite a. Quite a tempestuous, tumultuous relationship. Well, yeah. Anyway, yes, that's another and, whole story. And you story. see that he's, you know, Washington, of course, of Mr. Booker T. Washington and others is addressed here, mm-hmm. you know, where he sort of says, mm-hmm. you know, corn brooms are not the future. I mean, I'm translating that, but that's sort of. Um, but, you know, this is about ethereal versus pragmatic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, 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 on the other hand, you know, what Washington was saying was, Look, we got a whole lot of black people who need to work, and they're not all going to write beautiful books and be college professors. You know, so Get their they, PhD they from need, Harvard. They're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those two ideas together, sort of the practical versus the ethereal, um, where I guess for me at the end of the day, Du Bois wins. <laughs> Although, you know, it's it's a crude, you know, you need all yeah. these different ideas. Yeah. Um, is that I find him very convincing on why language and ideas in higher education are necessary and not ethereal. His idea of the talented tenth, that language is it's it's very makes it makes me very uncomfortable. Right. And that's that is one of the controversial um, just were you just I ha- we haven't actually gotten into that and then you know just say a little bit just briefly what the talented that idea was well that that idea was um, that uh, a race a people will not be led by everyone moving together that he says it will be literally the tenth uh, of a population that um, armed with 
fine education uh, armed with, you know, opportunity will lead the people forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, who are those people? How do you get into the talented 10th? Yeah. Um, who chooses? Who designates? Um, why a 10th? I mean, you know, it, 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 what about the class implications of that? It's a very, very discomforting idea. But I do think that what's true in that idea is that, in fact, uh, even within egalitarian movements, even within collective movements, attention is focused on leaders, on spokespeople. Um, So, you know, there are all kinds of important questions about how grassroots movements are organized, how decisions are made. But I believe the fact of the matter is that you don't see every face moving forward at once. Yeah. Um, and also that, you know, not everybody and, wants to. Right. <laughs> right. We, kind of, we, we, think, we act like everyone need, wants and needs to be a leader, and it's not true. It's, and it's, it's not the way it's the not world true, works. You yeah. know, so, it's stressful um, being a leader. Yes. But, you know, I think Du Bois had absolutely zero anxiety about his own status and yes um populist eliteness Mm -hmm. if that is a thing Mm -hmm. he had no anxiety about being a total elite but at the same time when you look at all the people he educated all the 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 people all the lynchings he protested all of the words he wrote all that he gave to millions and millions and millions of people the tools he gave people. I feel like, okay, you know, you can, you can, if that's, if you're that kind of elite, that's okay with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I'm cur- I, I just love that, that your son is doing this uh, paper on Du Bois. Did, um, so, so did you discover him discovering Du Bois or did he already know about him? Um, <clears throat> he had heard of Du Bois in Washington from me. My mother's a historian. Um, so these were not unfamiliar names, but he had not read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think his experience was to find all of these ideas really fresh and compelling. Um, and he was really interested in the idea that uh, they're always, you know, sort of Malcolm and Martin or, you know, that there yeah. always need to be. Um, more than one idea for people to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, he he found that very very so more than relevant. Malcolm and Martin. That yeah, it's larger exactly. Landscape. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what else? What have I not um, asked you about? What have you not asked me about? Um, well, I was very happy to rediscover <laughs> this lovely this essay lovely you essay wrote that I forgot that I wrote. Um, <laughs> And uh, well, I guess mm, I don't know. I, I could read something. Yeah, I just noticed that it's ten twenty nine. I can't. Oh, we have Paul, to go. Are we okay? Are we okay for a few more minutes? We're all right. Sorry, I can't. Hear. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I I have to leave actually, but we'll, yeah, we'll do, do ten too. more minutes. Okay, um, yes, I'd love for you to read something that's meaningful. Yeah. Um, the 
He's led me to so much thinking. He's led me to aspire to write better. I mean, these are just sort of very personal things. His productivity has made me hesitate less and try to put more out there because I think that one of the tragedies of racism as it has affected intellectuals and learning is that we've had such limited opportunities and so many of our ideas are so quickly shot down um, that to see a Du Bois who just said, I don't care, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write something again tomorrow, <laughs> who just keeps doing it yeah. um, and who ha- had no anxiety about putting his ideas out there. I think that's what we need more and more and more of. And when you put it out there, then maybe sometimes you make a mistake. Maybe you say something that people don't agree with. Um, and I think that it's a very big deal to overcome that feeling that you have to be correct all the time as a black intellectual. Very, very hard. Hmm. Um, I think also there's a, a sense that we don't have very many opportunities to publish and get our work out there. So we better be perfect times 100. Du Bois kind of was perfect times 100, but he also was persistent. And that was a really, really important example. But, but, but you started us off with this idea of the interior the interior work, the profound interior work of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that phrase, the souls of black folk. You know, what are our souls? What do they look like? What, what are we concerned with? Do they all belong to one thing? So here I say, because the ongoing effort is and will be, how can we continue to bolster our communities without being unduly nationalistic? Because many nationalisms have a simple minded to them, not mindedness to them that I don't necessarily think helps children to be critical thinkers and strong people. How do we teach our children to be aware, to question, to be tolerant, to be resilient and righteous? How do we nurture their brilliance and bravery? For those of us whose day-to-day experiences are racialized, we nonetheless all have dream space, private space. I don't think that that space is raceless or that it is without markers of identity, but I do think it's a space where those markers are rich, complicated, and not always resolved. That doesn't mean there aren't ways in which we sometimes work collectively and let some of our complexities fall away because we want to get something done, but I do believe the overall quest should be for everyone to feel that they have access to the private, complicated space within them. And so that's what I wrote and um, inspired by Du Bois. And I think that that's not an individualizing wish. You know, that's about yeah. how can we do that work and then come together in our fullness. That's 21st century work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. As before. (laughs) Lovely, yes. And thank you. You sent me back to this. And I, like I said, Delia, you you sure? This is what we're checking with Chris. Okay. Oh, all right. Okay.